0: what's going on welcome to another episode of the if you mark in your bible podcast my name is josh your host and today we are looking at lamentations chapter 3 verses 20 through 24 and discussing us uh, discussing this with us today uh, is my uh, i guess call a friend for a long time known nate for a very long time Uh, he's the preacher at the wisconsin avenue church of christ nate miller Uh, nate would you just take a little bit of time and introduce yourself to our audience, please.
1: Yeah. Uh, My name is Nate Miller. Um, I grew up in uh, Moore, Oklahoma, Oklahoma City. And I was raised in the church. Both my parents are faithful, have a great family. Um, I graduated from the Bear Valley Bible Institute in December of 2019. Um, For my second year at Bear Valley, I was married first year I was single second year I was married. My wife's name is Katie, and we moved up here to Huron pretty much january first twenty twenty we was our start date here and um in twenty twenty one we had a set of twins, Sam and Andy are their names. so the congregation here is really small uh it was it was uh nearly a church plant or a church revitalization type type deal we're doing up here uh, we have twenty twenty five on sundays um So anyway, yeah, that's it. We have a fun time up here in the great white North and have a busy life with a couple of kids and everything's good.
0: That's great. Yeah. You're up there where it gets cold. Yeah. For sure. Um, How many, how many started when, uh, when you were there in 2020?
1: It was factoring everything in a couple people moved right as we got here. There was two people, um, two pretty much original members that that were here that are that are still here um now. And whenever we moved here, whenever we were planning to move here, there was a an older lady the congregation. You could say she was kind of the kind of the matriarch, I guess, that really was the glue of everybody and held things together. For about ten years they didn't have any anybody, uh any preacher. They had right. four or five members and this later, her name was Inez, she really held everything together. And as soon as we committed to coming, she passed away. Um, And then her husband got remarried and took their daughter with them. And so anyway, uh, that was if it wasn't for the timing of everything. Of course, I believe God worked all that timing out. But if it wasn't for the timing of everything, um, the congregation most likely would have shut its doors
0: um, with her passing
1: away. And so anyway.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I knew it was fairly small, uh, and so to go in right before—I mean, right before the COVID stuff hit in 2020. Yeah. And then to come out of it three years later, uh, with the the size it is now, I know you're there with your sister and your brother-in-law. Yeah. Doing good work up there, and so I enjoy following y'all on Facebook and what y'all are doing. Thank you. Uh, definitely a good work y'all are doing uh, up there. Uh, so. Excited to have you on Lamentations chapter 3 Lamentations written by Jeremiah written after the Babylonian conquest of Jerusalem uh, the walls were destroyed the destruction uh, of the temple uh, t- has taken place and Jeremiah the prophet who was afflicted tried to warn uh, Judah uh, of the incoming captivity and if you look at Jeremiah really you can really separate Jeremiah into three warnings uh, or three, uh, for lack of a better term, we'll call them offers. First was uh, turn back to God, repent, and turn back to God and avoid captivity altogether. Uh, they refused to repent. Second one was repent, turn back to God, and there will be a captivity, uh, but it'll be a light captivity. Uh, essentially, you get to stay in Judah during the captivity. Uh, they didn't repent for that. Uh, and then the third was um captivity is imminent and it's going to be rough and uh, babylon came in uh destroyed judah destroyed jerusalem uh after it took essentially the cream of the crop from a, a population standpoint and so what's left there is is just destruction in fact so bad throughout uh, revelation there's a one point revelation will say that those who died by the sword were fortunate compared to the ones who were dying of starvation and all that. So yep. a very grim book, uh, a very depressing book for lack uh well not lack of a better term, probably just a a good way to look at it. Very depressing. Uh and chapter three, uh what we're gonna study today is at the heart, the pinnacle of this book. Uh, one of my favorite passages Probably well known uh, to many uh, because of the song uh that in court that uh, takes this passage and puts it to music uh but chapter three, if you want to look at it uh Wearsby broke it down uh from jeremiah's perspective one verses uh verses one through eighteen Jeremiah's looking at himself or within himself nineteen through thirty nine he looks away from himself and then forty through sixty six he looks at the people. And so we're gonna come into this section where he begins to look away from himself. And we're gonna start reading and I'll just read nineteen with it, uh, just because it's in the same stanza, but it says, Remember my affliction and wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. What do you have there, Nate?
1: So nineteen and twenty, I guess the first thing I'll say to preface all this is Lamentations is one of those books that like just to be honest, I I don't know that I've ever taken a deep dive into it all. And in fact, I don't know if I've ever read it in its entirety. It's one of those books that's one of those flyover books that you don't think about. So uh, the majority of my study, um, whenever you asked me to do this, was going through the entire book and kind of tracing themes through the book. So uh, a lot of, I guess, my thinking and the way I kind of I don't know. The way the way that I'm wired as far as it when it comes to Bible study is tracing at verses 20 through 24 that we're looking at, how does that fit in the rest of the book? And so tracing those themes is is kind of where I'm at. So, with that being said, what I did and what I noticed in verse 19 and 20, he's, he's saying, remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it. What I have highlighted here is the affliction and then the this continually remembering of his of his suffering. Um and if you if you go I, I think that's highlighted through the book a number of times, just the constant continual suffering without any relent. Um so for example, uh he says back in chapter one, which I don't know if I don't know if I'm doing the right thing by going all the way through the book but go ahead but in chapter one verse two he says there's no one to comfort her talking about uh this the the city of Zion chapter one verse three finds no resting place um chapter one verse nine she has no comforter chapter one verse seven there's none to help her chapter one verse sixteen the comforter is far from me one to revive my spirit one seventeen there's no comforter uh one twenty one there's no one to comfort me. So it's just this over and over and over, just this constant continual, I'm in the pit and I have no comfort. And he says it again in 119 or, or 120, this continually remembering of the, of the suffering that, that he and the the people of uh, Judah are going through. So that's what I, uh, I've focused in on there. And then that, the rest of the verse is kind of kind of 21 through 24 kind of juxtapose that idea there, but
0: no, that's great. And, and I like that you bring up that continual uh, suffering. Um, I've, I've put a bracket around 19 and 20 and I just put this, this phrase uh, unsolicited memories. Yeah. Yeah. And um, when we consider painful, Traumatic memories, which is what essentially verses one through eighteen is, is just Jeremiah recounting uh, the persecution he was facing personally uh, at the hands of of the false prophets and, and the politicians for uh, of of Judah at the time, as he was trying to warn them that something bad is coming. Uh, then he 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 has this traumatic incident, and he. The continually remembers it and bowed down. My soul is bowed down within me. Uh, That that phrase bowed down literally means melted within. Uh, There's a loss of hope. You can very, um, the thought being is, is that usually bad memories are ones that we don't sit back and reflect upon in order to. We don't want to feel the sadness, the sorrow, the anguish that we experience. You know, good memories, we we purposefully go back and look at those memories so that we can uh, relive the joy, relive the happiness, uh, warm our hearts with those memories. We don't look back on bad memories from that standpoint. Uh, we don't look back at it to to relive the stress involved with them, but they do come in unsolicited. Yeah. And and I think there's a lot of emotion involved uh, with these memories. And that's, it's almost as if as Jeremiah is looking over the landscape of destruction of Jerusalem at this time, and if we put ourselves in the shoes of Jeremiah, you almost can't help but think that what compounds his suffering is the fact that he tried to warn them. And they mistreated him when all he was trying to do is get them to the point where they would avoid this. Uh, and so, an excellent point uh, to uh, to point out. I like the fact that twenty starts off with my soul. Yeah. Uh, when you compare that uh, to the beginning of this chapter, because it's he's looking at it within himself. I think from a physical standpoint, and we're going to see that transition here starting in verse 19 and going in through verse 39 of he's transitioning now from focusing on the physical and starting to move to the spiritual facet, which is, uh, what's going to eventually lead to, to what we read. Do you have anything else on those two verses before we move on?
1: Um, I don't
0: think so. No,
1: Uh, well, I did. I wormwood and gall. I looked. I was looking into that and Uh is that just a bitter, my understanding is a, just a bitter, a way of explaining a a bitter taste in the mouth and a, a, an unpleasant experience. But again, those are those words that you get to in scripture. You're like, what in the world is wormwood and coal? But yeah.
0: Yeah. I think it's just, it's that affliction. It's that just a bad taste in the mouth is how we would say it. It leaves what, everything he suffered leaves a bad taste yeah yeah um, for sure but twenty one it says but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope uh what do you have there
1: okay, so this is we see one major shift in tone in the book um the way that and it it all centers around this word but um, and obviously that's a significant contrast here um Everything before in chapters one two and up through three twenty uh, up through chapter three verse twenty is is negative it is um you know we're suffering this is the worst and duh, duh, duh. you have this section that we're about to go through that we're going through um and down through like verse thirty nine through uh, maybe maybe forty two you could say that's all positive coming after this but but then immediately switching back after that is more and more negative. So mm-hmm. it's it, and it all starts with this but, this one positive section in the book where there's a little glimmer of hope, starts with this but here. Uh, and I think again after that it it goes all the way back to negative all the way through the rest of the book. So starting with this but, we're about to see uh about uh 10 uh 20 verses of positivity and hope that is in the midst of this great suffering. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so the, but starts that off. He says, but this, I call to mind and he says, and therefore I have hope then in the, the last line of verse 21, therefore I have hope is I have it bookended with the, the last line of verse 24, therefore I will hope in him. So therefore I have hope and therefore I, therefore I will hope in him both highlighted with a, you know, bracket around those. So everything in the middle, 22. 23 uh, is the reason that Jeremiah can find hope in this significant suffering.
0: That's great. Uh, and and I, I did the same. Th- I circled the word this. What is the this? Yeah. And out to the margin, I just put 22 through 39. He's about to, what gives him hope? What does right. he call to mind? Uh, what he's about to talk about. Um, I also put a bracket around 21. Uh, and as I put a, as, as I made note of 19 and 20 being an unsolicited memory, uh, in verse 21, I put the same note, uh, same bracket and chosen remembrance. And, and the point being is, is that Jeremiah has to deliberately push through his emotions. He has to deliberately push, uh, through his self pity in order to remind himself and to remember and recall. God's covenantal promise, mm-hmm. uh, which is what's going to cause him uh, to, to make the statements he makes uh, in the following verses. And I really like the fact that you, you pointed out the word, but I think it's one of the most uh, beautiful words in in the Bible when mm-hmm. you consider the situation here. And you' cause, and it's all it's throughout you'll you'll hear about the the man's hopelessness in, with sin uh man's hopelessness um because of sin and because of death and all that, and there always seems to be that word but that that the Holy Spirit would interject through inspired writers giving that hope that it doesn't have to be this way man's mm-hmm. not hopeless uh man doesn't have to succumb to death man doesn't have to. Uh, carry his sin with him and all that, because there's always a but, and it and and Jeremiah in this particular section is in that same boat. There's and I like the fact that you pointed out that it's it's depressing before and after this, and and uh, one commentator I read described it as climbing a mountain mm-hmm. as, as you start in verse one uh, of chapter one and you go through the, uh, verse twenty two of chapter five and. It's as if you're climbing a mountain. Uh, and so it, it starts off gloomy at the bottom. Uh, and then it seems to, it doesn't get better, but it just kind of, kind of as if you're going numb. And then you get to verse, uh, or chapter three, the middle of the book and where we're at, we're peaking that mountain. Uh, and, and this is, this is that glimmer of hope. This is that. Positivity that you mentioned, uh, but then eventually they're going to have to descend back down into the mountain, uh, and you see that uh, it gets more depressing as we go. But with that in mind, what we want to point out is that it's this little glimmer of hope and this very short time or, or very short moment in which Jeremiah spends at the peak of a mountain which allows him to endure the remainder uh, of this affliction that's around him. And and knowing the, the history and knowing the story of Judah, 70 years, God promised they would be in captivity, and then he'd allow them to return home. Babylon's conquered. The Medo-Persians come in. Cyrus writes a decree that everyone gets to go back and uh, rebuild and and worship the way they've been worshiping. Uh, Ezra and Nehemiah, they rebuild the wall, rebuild the temple, and they restore uh, Jerusalem. Uh, Though it's not to the glory it was during the reign of David and Solomon, uh, one thing that uh, those writers, Ezra and Nehemiah, would point out is that the Messiah would inhabit and set foot in this Jerusalem, in this temple. So there's that hope uh, for that. your purpose, the reason you have been set apart as a nation, Is still going to come about. Salvation came through the Jews, and that's in in regardless of their history and regardless of how wicked and rebellious they were at times. uh, We still have to keep in mind that God chose them as a nation to bring forth the Messiah, and the hope that we all have is because of the nation of Judah. And so, uh, definitely want to keep that in mind. You have anything else on 21? Um, just in
1: regards to that comment about the, you know, climbing the mountain, you, you know, chapters one and two are ascending this mountain. The middle of chapter three is kind of the peak of this mountain. And then you go back down. I was in studying this book. I I noticed that the and and other people pointed it out, but there's a lot of structure in Lamentations and chapters one and two both have 22 verses. Chapters four and five both have twenty-two verses, and then chapter three in the middle has sixty-six verses. And of course, the scripture or the the verse numbers are not original, uh, but uh, what I've read is that these do accurately depict the the um, the structure of the book from from Jeremiah's writing. I, I believe. Definitely, the first two chapters, and I think the fourth chapter, are acrostics of the Hebrew alphabet, each mm-hmm. verse. Um, and then chapter three, at the you know the top of this mountain, we could say, is has triple the verses. In the very center of the book, a lot of times, whenever you see this in Hebrew literature, uh, this chiasm structure, everything points down to one center focal point, and that seems to be where we are. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this book and specifically i i heard someone mention specifically it's verse 33 which is the center verse um which i we can discuss that in a few minutes if we if we go down to that but anyway it's a cool it's a cool thought that you are not only are we do we see this mountain top in like the words that it says but in the structure the verses and the numbers and the the um acrostic we we see it all come to a, a peak as well right. uh, just affirming that this is certainly the the thrust of the book um, oh, that's, but yeah that's that's, a, that's i've
0: no that's a great point and uh i never thought of it from a chiastic standpoint but i mean that is definitely uh definitely the case uh our our hebrew or our english language you lose a lot of the beauty of this poem yeah um it's beautiful from what i understand i'm not a hebrew scholar by any means but from what those who understand hebrew who read it uh say that uh it's a beautiful beautiful and it is a poem uh it's 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 in the middle of the major prophets but it really uh should belong with uh wisdom and proverbs and ecclesiastes and all that um but 33, for he does not afflict from his heart nor grieve the children of men. And you look at uh, the punishment came at the hands of the Babylonians, but God was in control of it. Yeah. Uh, and I think I think you're absolutely right. 33, if you want to put a peak of a mountain in a, in a a screaming point for this book, it's the affliction that you are suffering right now is for your own good. Mm -hmm. God didn't do this out of anger the way we would do stuff out of anger. He didn't do this uh, from the standpoint of trying to uh, stick it to Judah. But the whole purpose of this affliction is to protect the remnant so that the Messiah can come into the world so that all mankind can be blessed uh, through his uh, divine mission. And so uh, excellent, excellent point there. Verse 22 It says the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. What do you have there? So
1: I have three um,
0: well, four, four
1: phrases here in these four lines that they all, these are all essentially saying the same thing. It's all parallelism, Hebrew parallelism. Mm -hmm. These are all saying essentially the same thing in a different way. Um, So the four phrases I have um, highlighted, circled is never ceases, never come to an end, new every morning, and then faithfulness. All Mm -hmm. speaking of the same attribute of God that he is continually um, pouring out that that mercy. Um, And I think, so I have this in the same color as every single one of those phrases I talked about in the beginning that my soul continually remembers it chapter 1 or chapter 3 verse 20 uh chapter 3 verse 7 I cannot escape chapter 3 verse 8 I cry for help uh, he shuts out my prayer so it's this it's the same theme in the book but it's the opposite side of it um so Jeremiah through the whole book is saying I can't get away from these unsolicited memories like you're saying and it's continually that continual remembering of that is offset by the continual pouring out of God's love. It never ceases. It never comes to an end. It's new every morning. So the only way to offset continual remembrance of affliction is the continual blessing and mercy of God. Uh, it, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't carry the same weight if you said, my soul continually remember this it continually remembers the suffering it never stops and then it says imagine if it said in verse 22 uh the steadfast love of the lord comes but it you know it's uh eventually it'll end that doesn't offset appropriately the continual remembering of the suffering and the only way again to offset that is the never ceasing the never coming to an end new every morning the faithfulness of god so I have it all in one. It's all one thread through the book. All of those things, but twenty-two, twenty-three, twenty-four, we see the opposite side of the theme of the continual remembering.
0: Oh, great point. And I think it's in and and I think it's because his focus has changed. If if yeah, you look yeah. at the first eighteen verses, he's focusing on himself. He's wallowing in his self self pity, and then uh, starting here in verse uh, at twenty-one. Uh, he, he changes his focus, his focus now leaves himself and then go and turns to God. Um, and I think you're absolutely right. In fact, I circled that phrase in verse 22, my, uh, says my soul. Uh, and I just put verse 18. When you go back over to verse 18, it says, so I say my endurance has perished and my, and, uh, so has my hope from the Lord. So that's the thought behind it. He's looking at the physical. He's looking at himself, and he has no hope. Yeah. Uh, but when it changes his focus, uh, he starts to focus on the spiritual. He starts to focus on God. It's not him saying, I have no hope, but now it's his soul saying, therefore, I will hope in him. And so uh very good point, point uh, pulling out that contrast. Um, I agree with you 100% as far as never ceases, never come to an end. Uh, Every morning faithfulness is uh, I think that's an attribute of God that sometimes we made the immutability of God that sometimes we may take for granted is that he is consistent uh, across the board. Um, And and that's highlighted in those phrases. His love never ceases. my love may cease for somebody. Somebody could wrong me enough times that my feelings towards them change. Uh, almost to an irreconcilable point, depending on how bad it gets. But from this standpoint, uh, there's never uh, a change in God's, uh, the word steadfast love there, we've talked about on a couple of episodes before this, is that Hebrew word has said, uh that, that wealth of the covenantal agreement with God, that wealth never ceases. Uh, and as long as you and I are alive, we have an opportunity to partake of that wealth if we're willing to do what is required've uh, next to these this these two passages I put exodus thirty four verses six and seven and deuteronomy thirty uh, verses one through eleven exodus thirty four that passage uh, deals with uh, essentially that God is merciful, God is loving kind uh, or, or has loving kindness. Uh, has steadfast love, but it also says in that standpoint that he will not let sin go unpunished and he will not let wrongdoing go, uh, just slide. And, and so there's the facet of Exodus 34 that talks about God from the standpoint of, uh, and I'm reminded of, uh, what, what Paul said in Romans, behold the goodness and severity of God. That's what's encapsulated in Exodus 34 in that statement. And they're experiencing that. Uh, they're experiencing the justice, uh, the divine justice of their sin and their rebellion against God. But just as he won't allow evil to go unpunished, he will not allow goodness to go unrewarded either. And that's, that's what we're focusing on here. I also have Deuteronomy 30, uh, verses 1 through 11, uh, talking about the blessings and the curses. Uh, and he makes that point in that particular passage that in the midst of the curses, while you are in the midst of the curses, if you repent, if you come back, then the blessings, uh, will begin to come your way. And that's, uh, you're in the midst of, of the curses in this, in this particular passage. And so Jeremiah has forced himself to remember that if the people, and we're going to see it, Starting uh, starting in verse 40. He says, let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. That's exactly what he's doing. He's remembering Deuteronomy 30, where God says that if you've sinned, you're going to be cursed. But in the midst of curse, if you return to me, then you can reconcile that relationship. Uh, and then the good, the blessings will start to come your way. And, and so this is the beginning of him coming to that realization. We're in the midst of the curses, but if we return to God, we're not going to be rejected by him. We're going to be accepted by him, and and we will be in a better state. And you see that. Uh a- After the, the Babylonian captivity, Judah still has their issues, but one issue they don't have is idolatry, uh, and God preserves them, uh, uh, long enough you'd look at uh, the intertestamental period particularly when uh, Antiochus Epiphanes uh, and and I believe the providential hand of God was with that Maccabean revolt uh, but they were able to preserve the remnant and bring the Messiah into the world uh, and, uh, and, and they would only be destroyed after they rejected Jesus uh, in 70 AD but God preserves them throughout and, and so there's a glimmer of hope here. What else yep. do you have? Um, on that steadfast love, <clears throat> I've been,
1: uh, I, I can't, I've been studying Jonah as well. And that's the same thing that the same phrase we see in Jonah, in Jonah chapter one is Jonah chapter two, verse eight, where he's in the belly of the fish and he's saying he's appealing to God's steadfast love and he's in the belly of the fish. He wants God's steadfast love. Uh, then after he is, um, you know, the Ninevites return to God and they repent. Then in chapter four, Jonah is is mad. Uh, and he says, I'm mad because uh, I knew that you're a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And he's mm-hmm. so on one hand, he wants God's steadfast love in the fish. But whenever the Ninevites get it, he is upset that God is a God of steadfast love. So I I couldn't help but my mind went there when it came to the the steadfast love. Um, But that's, I guess that's kind of a side note, but uh, the other thing I have aside from that is this, his mercies never come to an end. So mercy and pity and compassion, it's all uh, a related term uh, in Hebrew. It's all the same idea. And it's interesting here in verse 22, chapter three, verse 22 says his mercies never come to an end uh, because, again, tracing this throughout the book, every other time this phrase or is mentioned, it's that God has destroyed us without per- without mercy. Um, so we see it in two chapter two, verse two. The Lord has swallowed up without mercy in chapter two, verse uh, 20. Chapter two, verse 17, he has thrown down without pity to twenty one. He has slaughtered without pity. Chapter uh, 2, chapter 3, verse 43. You have wrapped up yourself with anger and pursued us, killing us without pity. Chapter um, 3, verse 52. I've been hunted like a bird by those who are my enemies without cause. So it's throughout the whole book, Jeremiah is saying, he. I feel like you have... As harsh as this punishment, this consequence is, it's like you have no pity, you have no mercy. You are a ruthless, absolutely ruthless God, who has just taken out your your mercy without pity. Um, and but then, in this, you know, the pinnacle of this mountain, He recognizes your mercies never come to an end. So it's like this conflict in Jeremiah's in, in Jeremiah's mind, and his mind versus his soul. It's he's he's maybe confused or conflicted on. Are you a god who you know? It feels like you're a god with no pity. You destroy with no pity. You destroy with no mercy. You're absolutely ruthless uh, and just bloodthirsty. But in his in his soul, he knows truly that his mercy's never come to an end. So the only places we see mercy or compassion in a positive light is in chapter three, verse twenty-two. His mercy's never come to an end. And in chapter three, thirty-two. He caused grief, but he will have compassion everywhere else in the negative side of this book. You know, the the sides of this mountain, mm-hmm. you have him saying God is absolutely merciless. Um, so it's it's this. I guess you could say confusion that we can probably all relate to. And whenever we're struggling, we know that God's mercy has never come to an end in our soul. We know he's merciful. but mean, it sure feels like God is ruthless um and i think he's feeling that same struggle and conflict of the way god you know of, of trying to understand god's nature
0: right no and 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 you're absolutely right and and i think from an application standpoint for us um usually when we look at it from the standpoint of why is god doing this to me why is he uh, allowing this or excuse me uh putting this affliction upon me uh like jeremiah we're looking at it from a physical standpoint and Mm -hmm. if you were simply to look at jerusalem at that time from a physical standpoint then you're absolutely right there is no mercy Mm -hmm. Uh, but then, like where we're at now, he's shifted his focus away from the physical into the spiritual. It's now his soul that soul, is, yeah. and and he's he's focusing on that spiritual standpoint. And then you realize, and and I think that's where this phrase "new every morning" comes in. Is Jeremiah realizes that he had he woke up, mm-hmm. that he he survived another night. He woke up in the morning, uh, and and the day is new and and the opportunity to repent is still there. Yeah. And, and now uh, we have a merciful God mercy. There literally means bowels in the bowel, Uh, and it's that deep, uh, concern, acknowledgement of suffering, the pity, suffering, yeah. sympathy, Uh, and, and I think that's a great point that you, you're bringing out because jeremiah here with that statement his mercy's never come to an end his his gut-wrenching sympathy never comes to an end and jeremiah is now putting in perspective that god is enduring for lack of a better term enduring the same anguish he's looking down upon his people watching them suffer and it hurts him as well Mm -hmm. and it's yeah and it's like a uh, like a parent uh which we've we've mentioned before you don't enjoy punishing your children if you're doing it right you don't enjoy punishing your children uh but you do it for their own benefit but you don't enjoy watching them have to suffer and learn the lessons that they learned uh the hard way you'd rather and this is how God God would rather them have been faithful to him and been a prosperous kingdom until the point that that Jesus came and and so forth uh, but because of their their sin, uh, this was for their betterment. Uh, and I can't help but think that those who came back from uh, the captivity and seeing the destruction had a better appreciation for God and who he is than they did before uh, the destruction. Do you have anything else on, on those two verses before we move on?
1: Uh, I mean, just, I guess, continuing that same idea of his, a conflict in his mind he the book ends with the phrase you know on on one hand god is a, a god whose mercy's never in on the other hand he is ruthlessly killing and some of the imagery in the book is you know it's like god why are you making mothers mm-hmm. boil their children i mean very graphic stuff that that god is causing but then on the other hand his mercy's never come to an end and and the people of israel are are confused and conflicted and it, it, it all sums up in the last phrase in the book of chapter five, verse 21 and 22. He says, restore us to yourself that we may be restored, renew us in our days of old, unless you have utterly rejected us and you remain exceedingly angry with us. So it's this, are you going to restore us? But are you, are you ever going to restore us? Are you mad? So it's just, it captures this, you know, they're, they're, they're confused or not confused, but conflicted about who God is. And that, that shows, and it's so interesting, surrounded by, you know, four chapters of the ruthlessness of God. We have Jeremiah's soul saying his mercies truly never come, do come to an end. And I think you're absolutely right. I I didn't notice this, but everywhere else he's saying, you know, we see this and I see this and it's from this physical standpoint, but this section on the you know hope starts out in my soul and it's that physical versus spiritual perspective
0: so absolutely yeah that's yeah. all i had there no great point um and and you're absolutely right and and i think part of the conflict i know poetically he talks about it from the standpoint as if god did this yeah uh which is is again he's he, and I, I think you're absolutely right i think he from a poetic standpoint is is trying to make sense of everything yeah right right um and, and, and so that's a, a great way. But I also think, and this is what I appreciate about, it, especially when you start, um, to get into the latter portion of this, what we call, what we're calling the peak, this positive section is there is this realization that this is the consequences of yes. our actions. And, yes. and that's a lesson for us to learn today is that, uh, we can find forgiveness. We can, we can find spiritual enrichment but at the same time be in the midst of our physical consequences. Yes. Uh, Just because we're forgiven spiritually does not mean physically our consequences are relinquished. Um, yet God deserves praise, uh, in the midst of those consequences anyway. And Mm -hmm. I I, I think Jeremiah is pointing that out. Uh, verse 24 says the Lord is my portion says my soul. Therefore I will hope in him. What do you have there?
1: Um, you know, one of the first things I do whenever I come to a text is or the first thing I do is what words do I not know? And the Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him is a lyric that you grow up singing your whole life. But what in the world does it mean he's my portion? Um, so that word portion is the idea of like a uh, if I understand it correctly, like a, um, a treasure or or a booty was the was the the synonym uh, something you take away from you know war uh, uh I don't know what word I'm trying to say I, I can't articulate it very well but the, the possessions yeah the spoil that's that's what I'm getting at so saying the lord you know amongst all this trial amongst all this tribulation deep down I have this I have this this spoil this treasure this you know where my treasure is it, it's in the lord uh, and again says my soul not my not my physical mind, but my soul can say, the Lord is my portion. It reminds me of you know James chapter one and says you know, um joy in trials, and even though we're going through physical trials, our our souls can have joy. In Romans eight eighteen, um I consider the the present suffering is not even comparable to the weight of glory. These passages of amidst this suffering. We have this true treasure, this true portion, which is spiritual. And although we might not feel that and recognize it physically, our soul can can feel that deep joy, even amongst uh,
0: severe worldly suffering. hundred uh, percent. I've underlined that word portion or circled it. Uh, and I just put numbers 18 and verse 20 numbers, 18 and verse 20. That's where um God's divvying up the land and and the the wealth oh, yeah. and all that, uh, but he tells Aaron and the Levites that you uh, will get no land, neither shall you have any portion among them. And he says, "I am your portion and your inheritance among the people of Israel." That's cool. That's and, cool. I didn't see that. And when we put it in this perspective, and 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 where Jeremiah is at in this standpoint you look around jerusalem there is no physical possession to be had your land is owned by the babylonians anything that is of value in jerusalem had been taken away as a spoil of war for the babylonians which when you, you look at it from a historic we have the the luxury of looking back on this uh, god took those spoils of war and preserved them in babylon and then when cyrus uh and the uh, the Medo-Persian Empire conquers Babylonian, Babylonia, uh, the Babylonian Empire, uh, he gives it back to them to bring back to the temple and to rebuild. And so you see providentially how God protects the physical wealth of Judah uh, by taking into war. But from Jeremiah's perspective and the people that are in J- uh, Jerusalem at this point, they're looking across the stem and they have nothing. There There's is no portions, physical right possession to be had and so here's jeremiah saying even though i have nothing the lord is my portion the same way he was the portion of levites and you look at that the tithes and all that were meant to provide for the the tribe of levi and 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 this is what he's saying here is that my full reliance since there is nothing in the land that can provide for me there's nothing within myself that can provide for me I am now going to make the Lord my portion i 'm going to put my full reliance upon Him and trust in his uh faithfulness and his steadfast love to provide for me in this and and i mean we we look at it we call it rock bottom mm-hmm. uh, today. and and how many people have hit rock bottom and realized that everything that they relied upon on this earth, their wealth, their possessions their their relationships from an earthly standpoint, have failed them. And how many times has it taken that to turn them to God and, and understand that that full reliance upon him uh, is necessary? And and uh, the point that we want to drive home, at least from this study, is put that full reliance upon God before you hit. Yeah. Uh, if they had done this before, then they would have never been in this situation. Uh, and, and so that's the lesson we can learn. What else do you have?
1: Um. That's all I have. Uh, I didn't do it before you mentioned it, but connecting that soul in verse 24 to the, the soul in verse 20. Um, and then he, he just caps it off. He he continues with the same thought, but he caps this immediate context off with, therefore, I will hope in him. Uh, and we see that book ended. So here we see this you know, beautiful little section of this poem starting and ending with, this is why I can have hope. Yeah. Um, and, but he says in, in chapter three, verse 18, my endurance is Paris. So as my hope from the Lord, um, and I think that's one of the only other times we see hope in the book, him saying, my hope is gone. Uh, but then he, when he switches perspectives, he says, this is why he has hope. So that's all
0: I have on, on verse, on verse 24. That's a great way to close it all. I have one more quote in my Bible next to this, uh, and I don't know who made this quote, uh, but it simply says, I never knew how much I needed God until God was all that I had. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's the the premise of what he's saying here. So uh, thank you, Nate, for coming on. Uh, that was a great study. Appreciate your time and your input. Uh, There's some things that I definitely uh, didn't see until you pointed them out. So that's great. Uh, if you're watching uh, to this point, thank you uh, for listening, studying with us. Like, share, subscribe, pass this to your friends, help the channel grow. We appreciate you all. And uh, tune in next week for another episode. And with that, uh, we are out. Appreciate it. Awesome, thank
1: you.